Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. This week's episode comes from the Latter day Life Coaches Podcast and is all about owning your spirituality. If you'd like to hear more about this topic, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below to hear more podcasts where Dr. Finlayson Fife discusses spiritual development. If this episode resonated with you, we ask that you please share it with someone else that it may benefit, or leave us a review so that other people can find the podcast as well. Enjoy the episode. In today's special edition episode, I am talking with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who is an LDS sex therapist. A few years back, I had the opportunity to go to one of her retreats and found it so fascinating on many levels. But one of the things that I left there surprisingly with was a greater understanding of what it meant to own my own spirituality. Some of the things that I heard her talk about at this retreat, on some regards, seemed a little bit contrary to the religious beliefs that I had grown up believing in our culture. The interesting thing was that I didn't feel threatened by them or challenged by them. Even though they did seem contrary, they didn't feel wrong. And in fact, they felt right in some way. So this observation left me with the desire to ask a few more questions and seek look a little bit deeper into my own spirituality. It took me down a path where I have landed today and I am so grateful for where I am. So let's get right to it. I'm going to let you just jump in right here into the middle of the conversation that was already going with me and Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. I went to an in-person retreat. One of the things I distinctly remember you talking about was being in alignment with yourself and Mm -hmm. following your own internal compass rather than relying on somebody else Mm -hmm. um, to tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Those aren't your exact words, but that's kind of Mm -hmm. how I, that was my takeaway. Definitely. I think we've been taught our whole lives really to to seek personal revelation. That's a big part of our doctrine and our beliefs. And yet there seems to be this disconnect at times about, about that. We don't want to trust ourselves and we just want someone to tell us what we should do. So Mm -hmm. I would love to talk to you a little bit more about that and get your take on that. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we have such a hard time trusting ourselves and why do we look to other people so much to get yeah. answers? Well, the first thing I, w- I would say about it is that it's developmental. So it's not that, you know, something is going wrong per se. It's that it's the first step in a relational, spiritual, developmental path. So when we first start out in life, the only way to have a sense of self, the only way to have a morality is to reference what other people are telling you about what is right and wrong. You need it. You Mm -hmm. you can't exist without it. And the primary driver in your early development is your own safety. So I want to obey this rule so I don't get in trouble. So mom's not mad at me so that I don't get hurt. You know, you're, you're trying to manage your sense of your, your moral reference point is your own sense of self and your personal safety. It's the only one you can kind of have at that point because you just haven't developed enough to start considering more your actual impact on other people. 
the morality of your choices. That's a higher level of development. So we start there. And with so it's got a deep reference to other people, how they feel about us, what they want from us. Even if you're rebelling against that, it's still in reference to other people. Does that make sense that you're still yes. like disobeying somebody's rule, but you're still thinking very much about what someone else wants from you. When you get at a higher level of development, which the kind of the earliest it can be is around age seven or eight, which is when we get baptized, then you start to have more of a relational reference point. You start thinking about what's the impact I have on others? What's my responsibility to other people? What are the consequences of my choices? But it's still very much linked to validation and approval and what makes me belong to this group. So you have a different motivational system at that point, which is belonging. So like what makes me be a legitimate part of this group? What makes me be okay? You're still referencing what people say about what it is to be male or female or good or bad, but it's helpful. You need it. Again, you need that reference. You you, You can't have an internal compass yet because you haven't had enough time kind of internalizing the mores and the understanding of the group around you to even understand what's true and what's real. So it's valuable. It's essential. What happens is people keep developing as they're transcending these in the sense that they are internalizing those frames. And so it's not like they're abandoning them. They're internalizing them as reference points as they grow into a deeper reference. So when you get to this kind of deeper self-reference, you actually have passed through the other stages, learned from it. Now you have more capacity to have an honest and well-developed internal reference point that has come through that earlier development. But now it's not as dependent on other people to tell you what's okay and what isn't okay. You're not so dependent on other people telling you you are all right. you know. And so then you're freer to think for yourself, do, what do I think about this idea? How does it relate to my life? Is it goodness in my life? Who am I as a child of God? What is true for me to be doing? So when you're saying like the things I was saying in the retreat or in the, in the online course were like a challenge in some ways, but still felt true. The way I think about what you're saying is that it's kind of moving you from an earlier frame into a more developed frame. It's more like letter of the law into spirit of the law. So it's like, it's kind of challenging a way of thinking but it's also opening something up in a way that I need it opened up or something that feels like it's pushing me to to function at a different level, but it's truer. It's not like dismissive of the earlier frame, but it's expanding it into something stronger and wiser. We're taking a moment here to let you know that there are open spots in both of the Art of Desire retreats that Dr. Finlayson Fife is hosting in Hillsboro, Oregon in August and September. There are only about eight spots left in each, so if you're interested, don't hesitate to go to her website for more information. These retreats are truly transformative experiences where you get to be immersed in the work of learning and owning your desires and reframing your view of sexuality. There are also yoga classes and movie nights and delicious food. We hope to see you there. That makes total sense to me because I guess the way I would describe some of that shift that I've experienced is that it 
as I have started asking those questions and seeking for some, my own personal opinions and perspective on things, I have felt this sense of coming home a little bit more, more than I ever have before. And I would have probably at a younger age in my life, never felt that I needed more. It felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. to, right. in my, I felt comfortable in my faith. I felt like I had faith. But then as I have really started asking some questions and trying to fit it into the frame that I have now, it mm -hmm. feels so much more true and mm -hmm. like a choice. Like yeah. I'm choosing to believe rather than just believing at some yeah. point. It's like, I think what you're saying is it's like a deeper expression of who you are you have deeper ownership of it, deeper responsibility for yourself as a moral being, as an actor in the world. And so it, it's like more deeply true to yourself while also more moral and having kind of more wisdom in it. So it makes sense what you're saying that at an earlier stage where you were fit well enough. Mm -hmm. Then often as you grow in experience, it starts to not fit well enough and something more expansive or truer or more spiritually developed is needed. And so, you know, we talk a lot in church, but sometimes we don't believe it, I think, which is line upon line, you know, or yes. that you continue to receive revelation and understand God more as you live life. And I think a lot of times we have a very limited idea of what that means but that you start to, through the way you live, understand more what truth is, what goodness is, what it means for you personally. And I, I think sometimes when, so while we have this developmental process, sometimes we, we look for the weaker way to do things while calling it good. So when we need to be expanding ourselves or pressuring ourselves to take deeper responsibility for who we are and for what we believe and for our moral choices, we'll hide in the obedience frame as a way of not taking responsibility. We're kind of saying, well, you know, so-and-so said I should do this. It should all work out. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like yes. a way of sort of avoiding what God wants us to do, which is to take deep responsibility for our lives and who we are and what we choose. Yeah. It feels safe sometimes. Like it becomes somebody else's responsibility. And if something yeah. goes wrong, then it won't be my fault. Exactly. It'll be okay. Yes. So interesting. So I had read a book recently that I had seen that you were, you had written an, are they called essays? Are they in yeah, each piece? They call them essay yeah. Yeah. in the book called why I stay too, because there was a first of that, of that book. And mm -hmm. I have thought so much about this lately as, as a younger individual. And I would hear that people had some maybe more progressive views of things in the church or our culture and our doctrine, I would kind of be like, well, if they don't agree or if they have different opinions, what they, they can just leave at any point. I don't understand why mm -hmm. they choose to stay if they're, if they're if they struggle or, mm -hmm. or unhappy. Yeah. But at this spiritual level in my life, I see why there is a little bit more of a struggle in why people choose to stay. I would love to have a little bit of a conversation on that. Why? Sure why you stay. And, and I know it's different for everybody. And I have gone through some of my own faith journey where I have decided that this is where I choose to stay as well. And I love to hear this conversation because I think it's one that is pretty rampant right now. You know, why, why should I even stay? So what are your mm -hmm. thoughts there? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll speak to my experience because I, I think, you know, everybody has different experiences and it has different meaning for them, but 
you know, the church, I grew up in Vermont in a very small branch. My parents were deeply involved in the ward. So was I, meaning because like primary was at our house, you know, for example. And <laughs> we literally <laughs> helped build the chapel. Right? Okay, so we were canning food. You know, we had a big garden and my dad was like, my mom and dad were both in leadership positions all the time. So it was, and then I had no extended family because they were all out in Idaho, in Utah, I had like whatever, a hundred cousins, but I'd never <laughs> met any of them because, you know, we were in Vermont. So the church was literally like my extended family. And they were the people that looked after me and cared for me. You know, I sometimes tell a story of when my mom was, uh, I might've even wrote it in that essay. I can't remember, but my, my mom was back in Idaho visiting her family and I got sick. And my dad was working, you know, he's a professor. And I, and so I was at home alone in seventh grade and my mom's visiting teacher had called looking for her and figured out that I was home sick and just came and got me, brought me to her house and took care of me. And I was like, seriously sick, like, you know, like very hard to do anything for myself sick. And so, and, and so like just that level of community caring for me. And then, it, you know, it's in the church that I learned about a God in heaven who loves me, that I learned about Jesus Christ, that I learned principles of eternal progression and mattering and belonging. And so it's like, it's my spiritual home right now. It's my family. It's my group. It's the people that love me. It's the people I love. There are some remarkable principles. Like I remember in my PhD program, one of my, my colleagues saying to me, I've never seen somebody be so earnest about what is true as you are. And I was like, that's, that's my LDS upbringing. Like I really believed what is true matters and acting faithfully matters. I mean, faithful to what's true, faithful to other people matters. And so I, so what was also true is that because I was a social scientist from a young age and I was able to map and track other people's suffering, I could see suffering. I could see suffering in my mom. I could see suffering in some women in the church. I could see unhappiness in people's marriages. I learned about polygamy and felt quite horrified at the idea that this was God's plan for me. I mean, like that somehow in the next life, and this is what I learned in Sunday school, that I was, if I got to the highest level, going to be in a polygamous arrangement. I'm like, I think I'm just going to shoot for like lower, like <laughs> celestial, but lower level. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds like hell to me to be in that. <laughs> okay. So, so I was like wrestling with God at a young age. Like I felt loved and cared for, but I also questioned, do I somehow have secondary status here? And is that true? So I, I think my point in saying all this is that I had this dual experience of feeling like I belonged, like I was learning great truths that were very important for my sense of self, for my own development. And then also learning other things that were painful, that felt wrong, you know, um, that, that felt, you know, either there was something broken in me or something broken in the church, but the two weren't going together well. So I preferred broken in me for quite a while, actually. And then I think at a certain point, I felt like, no, that's not truthful. It's not right. There's something not right here, at least for me being honest, that I need to address. And I think in my own, you know, I was on a mission where I was really struggling with these questions, meaning I had struggled before. And in some ways, going on a mission was a way of trying to have a time of focused, per but I really felt in that pursuit, you know, permission 
from God, not just permission, but a kind of offering to me of there are false traditions in the church and your job, not, not like as in your job to do this for the church, but your job for your own development is to, to be honest and to pursue what's true and to stand by what's true. That you're not just going to be handed all the answers in one idea. You have to be in a struggle around what's true and align yourself with what's true. So I, I really knew that's what God was saying to me, but I was too afraid of it. So I stepped away from that because I didn't want to lose the validation of other people. And I didn't want to compromise how people felt about me. But for me, it was like, this is my home and I don't want to go anywhere, but I have to start to say honestly what I think is good and what I think is less than good. And, and so that's how I am, where I am today. It's, it's like I care about my brothers and sisters in the church and I want people to be able to have a meaningful spirituality but sexuality and intimacy and joy in their lives now, not in the next life, like now. Yeah. <laughs> and the world's imperfect. I'm not trying to pretend that like all the answers are easy to have, you know, but that there is more truth for us to have, even in our own theology, if we can open ourselves up to it. So for you, I'm hearing you say kind of exactly what we talked about in the beginning, just really aligning with what, with your own self being in tune yeah. and following your own internal compass rather than yes. seeking exactly. outside. So my, I, my other question here then is, and this is something that I found myself grappling with a little bit is that the idea of truth, like, is there, how do we even know truth? We can't, I, I remember just battling, like, there's just no way for me to even to know 100% whether something sure. is true or not. That's so right. that becomes for me, that's where faith comes in. At this point in my life, I am practicing true faith because I am just choosing that I want to believe that this mm -hmm. is true. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you. I, I assume that there are many things that I believe right now that are simply false. I mean, there's just no question. That's true for all of us. <laughs> you, we yeah. kind of can't, we can't escape that as human beings is that on some level, we are buying into ideas including ideas around nutrition or like things that we now currently as a society believe are absolutely true that a hundred years from now we'll be like, can you believe people thought that back then? I mean, you know, that, that's just going to be the, the way things are. So because we borrow wisdom, it's just part of being social animals is that we are kind of gleaning what is true from the social reality in which we're embedded. And it's always going to be limited. So that's true. And I, I don't deny that at all. But that's still different than whether or not you live faithfully or truthfully. And what I mean by that is I don't, ex I don't believe that God expects me to get everything right because I can't get everything right. I do think God expects us to live honestly and to be as self-honest as we can. That's our best mechanism for not deluding ourselves, for not living in a fantasy land that we want to have be true Meaning, is our faith driven by our courage or is it driven by our fear? Because a lot of times we will, because we're afraid of what's true, we'll use the framing of faith to like not question things or deal with things. And, but there's a basic dishonesty in it. Or are we living faithfully that we believe enough in truth and in goodness 
that we're willing to let our sort of limited understanding of truth and goodness be challenged in order to step into something that's truer and gooder. Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> I love the word gooder. <laughs> yeah. So, and because that's faith that has moral courage in it. I'm willing to let my view of myself, my view of the world, my view of another person be challenged by something that's truer, something that is pushing me to understand the world in a, in a better and in a way that accounts for more truth. So we have to be careful of this in ourselves because our fear is often driving us much more than our courage. And so while we can't ever know 100% what's true, we can decide if our fear runs us or if our courage runs us. We can decide how honestly we're willing to push ourselves to live versus letting ourselves hide from things we don't want to deal with. Yeah, I think that is so valuable. I think we we have had a tendency as a culture to come from a fear perspective. Like we make choices based upon what the consequence might be if I don't choose Mm. to do this. And, Mm -hmm. but I think that takes it one step further, even is not letting fear be in charge when we are trying to gain a new perspective on something. And rather than just believing what we've always believed, we can Mm -hmm. be open to believing something new and thinking that there might be something even more or better out there. And I loved how you compared it to, or how you just said, you know, I believe things right now that I know are not true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's, I think that Mm -hmm. gives us permission. It gives us almost a way to, because we kind of do feel like we need permission. It gives us permission to seek for more higher levels of truth rather than just staying right. stuck where we are. That's right. We just realize there are things. Yes. Yeah. Right. Perfectionism <laughs> is fear-based, but if you yes. see it as like, I'm in a developmental process, the process of becoming more godly, which is part of our faith is that you're out there choosing, using your agency, but you're going to make mistakes. There's no other way to develop than to be out there asserting choices. Now, the more honestly you assert those, the more you're really trying to do what's right the better that it's going to go, right? I don't mean just you're out doing whatever because you can pay right. the price for that. But <laughs> even when you're bringing your best, it still might not be good enough. It still might be limited. It still might be off. And that hurts and it's costly and it hurts to learn life's lessons sometimes. But if you let life teach you, then you can self-correct and you can become better. And so that's that's why we need agency. That's the only way we can develop. Perfectionism is fear-driven and it's not righteous to use that. It's not good. Striving to excel, to better ourselves, to improve, to really believe in goodness enough to go out and make mistakes so you can get closer and closer to it. That's somebody that has faith, not fear. Yeah, that is so good. So there is something else that I have had to really do some work in my own head on separating the doctrine from the culture of the church at times. Mm -hmm. And some of what I heard you saying about the reasons why you stay really do have to do with the culture of the church and not necessarily the doctrine, the culture of the church would be more the people and the actions that carry out like your mothers, we call it ministering sister now, ministering sister coming over. And that is obviously that's it's culture, but it's doctrine in some way too. Talk to me about separating culture and doctrine. And because I think sometimes we do have to do that. And sometimes it also feels good to bring them together. 
Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of interesting. I had not thought of it that way, but yes, it's like the people themselves, like, this is my group. This is my people. I mean, you know, and it's, yeah, it's like, these are the people that I know and love. So I don't want to go anywhere because they're yeah. my people. <laughs> so yeah, that, that is kind of culture, but I think it's also another piece, which is it's in this group that I've learned great truths as well. Yes. That, I, that I have learned these ideas, like that do what is right, that the truth sets you free, that God is love, you know, that God loves you. There's this being who there are parents in heaven who care about you. I mean, that helped me so much as a growing adolescent who was insecure, who had Coke bottle glasses and really big hair with a permanent wave in it and a scrawny <laughs> body <laughs> and no clothes because my family had no money. I was, you know, everybody's awkward in seventh grade. I was like super awkward. Okay. But to just be like, at least God loves me. Okay. <laughs> that <laughs> helped a lot. Okay. <laughs> it really did. But sometimes I thought that was the only being that loved me. So, so it was the group, it was the culture, but it was also these ideas that really anchored my life. And and so when I sort of had enough courage and, and maybe permission even from in my relationship with God to let what was false be false and stop trying to make it true, because I felt like I was living dishonestly. That was what was really bothering me is I felt like I was trying too hard to make it somehow right that men lead women. And I was trying too hard to make, you know, back then we would say gay and lesbian issues, like be wrong because I had a cousin who was gay and I just, he was a good human being and I couldn't make it fit. Even though I wanted to preserve my ideology, it felt dishonest to say he was somehow broken. Right. And, and so I was thinking like, how do I live honestly? So I think that I could believe it was really my LDS upbringing that was telling me that the truth mattered and that it could withstand culture. So that was also what was guiding my moral courage was these ideas that I had learned in church <laughs> and resonated with me. Now, what I think is true is that the church culture, often the people, right, because we're all immature on some level, are promoting some of the worst bits, okay, like that is to say, they're doing fear-based chastity lessons and they're, you know, scaring the bejeebers out of people about their sexuality and they're, and they're making issues like, you know, the word of wisdom and focusing on the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. You know, we just do that kind of stuff easily. That's also often a function of where the person teaching that lesson is operating from in their own life. So we have an amazing theology that allows for for very high levels of spiritual development, actually, in, in terms of a, that spectrum of development, you know, this ever-growing evolution, evolution into godliness, not like these obedient automatons, but more that you are growing in wisdom to become godly yourself, that marriage is a driving mechanism of development. I couldn't agree more with that, that embodiment is good, right? That sexuality as a function of that embodiment is a driver in our spiritual and relational development that love and truth lead the way, that they are the anchoring ideas. So, you know, a lot of times when people are rejecting other people in the name of their faith, they're going against true Christianity. They're going against the gospel because love is more important than the ideology. Love leads you into greater truth. Love leads you into understanding God. These are ideas I learned at church. <laughs> What's another one? Oh, even consecration and the body of Christ that you've been given gifts and you can use them to to inflate yourself and your ego 
but but the real way is to understand them as gifts and to bless the body of Christ, to bless others, to consecrate those gifts for the betterment of all, right? So these are like remarkably beautiful truth-based ideas. When we get behavioristic and fear-based, we reduce our theology to something destructive and much less than it can be. And so, you know, I understand that fear and disillusionment can make it so you just want to throw, you can get cynical, you can get rigid in one way or the other, either in belief or disbelief. But the beauty is there, there is so much truth, beauty and goodness in the world. And we can use our faith to cling to it more, or we can use faith to, to keep ourselves limited. So how are we relating to our faith? Is it pushing us to be better? to know and understand greater amounts of wisdom, to love those around us better? Or are we using our faith to reinforce our fears and keep ourselves small? And Christ was very critical of doing the latter. You think that's so fascinating that you explained that your religion helped you do both of those things. It helped you see, and I say your religion, but (laughs) our religion helped you see that God is bigger than all of it. It was almost like what you have learned in church growing up gave you permission to challenge the beliefs that you were brought up with in church. I think that's something that we all need to listen to a little bit. It doesn't mean that it's either or. We can see things bigger because like you said, God is bigger than all of it. I love, I love that. He's bigger than all of that. As I have started in the last few years doing more study and trying to take myself to the next spiritual steps in my life that I feel like my soul is seeking. I have read so many things outside of our church um, leaders' works and reading things just that are outside in the, in the general population. I sat there thinking, you know, this is just the doctrines of the gospel being taught in other words. It's like, these are eternal truths. They're all out there. And I think sometimes we feel like we have the corner on the market on Mm -hmm. eternal truths and we don't. But what I found so fascinating was that these things that like these books that I've been reading that are targeted to adults and teaching them these new things. I thought this is so fascinating because I learned these things when I was six and seven Mm -hmm. years old in Mm-hmm. primary class, but just in different terms. And mm-hmm. that's been really interesting for me to ponder on that we really didn't have to wait till we were older to learn a lot of the things that are that are taught to us as children. Mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. know where I'm going with that other than I just think that we it's it's here, we sometimes get really close minded on what we've been taught. And it's really, a, it's so much bigger. I mean, Joseph Smith himself said that, that, you know, I should get the actual quote, but basically, that we claim truth wherever we find it. I mean, it's in the yes. the articles of faith, but also just this idea that we embrace all truth and all good. And the idea that we don't have it all yet, that we have to stay open to continuing to receive truth as we're growing ourselves up enough to receive it. Because if we think we've got all the answers and we lock down in that idea, you literally, it's fear-based, but it's also closing yourself, closing off your development. And then you can just sit around and judge everybody for not being like you and it feels good, but it isn't good. And so, yeah, it's like really, truly understanding that we, the gospel was restored, but it's, it's not finished. The restoration is ongoing. There's still truth being brought to us. And 
And I think we forget that. We, we yeah. think that everything that's been said is that's yeah. the end all be all, right. but we're part right. of that restoration and our own beliefs and following our own internal compass yeah. is, and, and asking those questions is all part of that restoration process that's that right. is ongoing. That's right. And a lot of times we think it's going to come from the top down rather than from the collective, our collective pursuit of what is true, what is good. How do we create Zion through our own courage, our own moral courage, our own honesty, our own earnestness? We have a moral responsibility to ourselves, to those around us to to live truthfully. And that's what helps us grow. I think that that's exactly where I would love to end actually is just remembering we do think it comes from the top down, but it's almost like this continuum that can go back and forth rather than thinking it all has to come from above that we are part of that. And we have a, we are from God and there's parts of him in us and we are what we think and what we want and what the questions that come to our mind are valuable and are all part of that process. And that is going to get us to where we want to be exactly. as an individual and as a collective That's right. group of people. That's right. So yeah. thank you so much for this conversation, Jennifer. I don't know if you have anything else that's just burning on your mind that you want to leave us with, but I have been so grateful to have you with us today. I don't know that there's anything burning on my mind. I think I would just sort of say that I think it's really important that we not believe the idea that only people that have high influence, that what they do matters. Instead, we are our own moral agents and what we do matters. It impacts us. It impacts those around us. It impacts how truthfully and joyfully we're capable of living. So to your point, like don't disregard the importance of your own agency and your own choosing in impacting yourself and those around you. So important. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.